Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. Let's go to the book of Matthew this morning. We are so excited that you are with us. We're going to take a journey this morning through uh, a couple of stories of Jesus. Now, as we've been going through the book of Matthew... Matthew has an agenda, right? Matthew was one of the four biographies of Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, they all are written with history, of course, in view, but also they have theological agendas. Matthew is Jewish, writing to a Jewish audience about a Jewish Messiah. And Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 4, and uh, Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry by saying, Jesus comes to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal people of their diseases, to cast out demons. And Matthew lumps all of those three things together, the proclaiming of the message of Christ, and then the embodiment of that message in and through Christ. The reason he includes those together is because Jesus wasn't just a messenger. God has sent lots of messengers. But Jesus was the embodiment of what it looked like to have God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Right, The Lord's Prayer, central to that, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you want to know what God's will, if it's done on earth, looks like, you look at Jesus Christ. And so Jesus not only proclaimed the good news of the kingdom's coming, but he embodied it. And so he would heal people fully, 25% of the biographies of Jesus are given to healing stories. And it wasn't just because God is nice, although he is nice. But there's a deeper sense that Jesus is not only proclaiming, but he's, he's not just telling, but he's showing. He's not just proclaiming, he's demonstrating. And so Matthew marks off nine healing stories through something called an inclusio, in case you were wondering. An inclusio is a, is a Jewish literary device that brackets a bunch of material. So in Matthew 4, he says Jesus went around preaching and teaching and healing. And then in Matthew 9, he uses the exact same phrase. Jesus went around preaching and teaching and healing. And whenever you see that, if you've got your Jewish ears on in some metaphorical way, that means that material is all meant to be understood together. There are nine healing stories in this material. So we're going to look at three of them. This morning, go if you would to Matthew, we'll start in chapter 8. Now we had paused over Matthew 5, 6, and 7, something called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching. And right after that, so Jesus has talked about what the reign of God looks like inaugurated on the earth, and now Jesus puts it into practice. Verse 1, when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I just want to say good morning to everybody. Good morning. morning. I'm so glad that you are here. I know it's a long drive. See, we're not going to, sometimes we move the teaching up sooner for just this purpose. Good morning. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, leprosy 
was not just a physically debilitating disease. It was brutal physically. Your nerve endings would wither and die, and so literally you would not know if you were injured. Oftentimes you would cut yourself. You'd have no idea that you'd cut yourself and grow infected. I mean, literally over the course of years, your limbs would just kind of wither away. They'd be truncated. Your face would be uh, deformed. It was brutal. But as bad as the physical part of the disease was, the cultural, societal part was even worse. The stigma attached to leprosy was pretty massive. It was thought that it was communicable. So lepers were marked off from everybody else. If you were married and had leprosy, you were no longer married. If you had a family and had leprosy, you no longer had a family. You were excluded from all cultural life, all religious life. You could exist with your own kind in a colony outside the town. And whenever you made your presence known in a public area, within 100 feet of people, you had to shout, unclean, unclean, so that they could get out of the way. Brutal. Kids would throw rocks at you, adults would spit at you. Completely excluded. So when a leper shows up to Jesus, you got to know the crowds are parting for this dude. Right? I mean, this is Jesus' most famous sermon, and now it's like the Red Sea is splitting as this leper makes a beeline for Jesus. And he's so beaten down by the religious establishment, because the religious establishment of the day taught that if you had a disability, a handicap, if you had something wrong with you physically, it was either the sin of your parents or your sin that caused you to be that way. So the leper was just getting what he deserved. Jesus sees this man who humbles himself and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me, and he uses the word clean. Now, in the Old Testament, clean and unclean didn't have to do with how well you showered, because they didn't have showers. You guys are going to play it all today. (laughs) Tim, you know, years ago, I spoke at this African-American church. And they'd talk to you. You know, I mean, some people start waving their hands and they'd say, help him, Jesus. Help him, Jesus. I didn't know if that was good or bad, but I took it. So the man is so humbled, he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, clean and unclean didn't have to do with hygiene. It had to do with your fitness to be a part of the community and to worship in the synagogue or in the temple. Clean and unclean had nothing to do um, with, um, with hygiene or washing. It had everything to do with whether or not you were ceremonially clean or ceremonially pure. Now, the way it worked in the first century is that if you were clean, the last thing you'd ever want to come into contact with is unclean. Because the way it worked was unclean, polluted clean. So the way to stay clean was to avoid coming into contact with unclean. This is significant because what does Jesus do? Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now, we, knew from, we know from other stories that Jesus can heal long distance. 
right? He doesn't have to touch anybody. He, there, like, there's a story we're going to read where he's in one region and he heals somebody in another region, right? Instantaneously. So Jesus touching the man was intentional. In the first century, rabbis don't touch lepers. You just don't do that. When Jesus says, he, he reaches out his hand and he touches the man. And then notice what he says. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus touched him and said, I am willing. Be clean. Now, I don't know about you. I don't look at Jesus as very willing. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like i got to promise him like church attendance for the next decade. Or I promise I won't ever get mad at my wife again. Or, you know, I've got to somehow like negotiate collective bargaining agreements. You know, it's like the Wisconsin legislature. You know, I'm hiding in another state and, and, and Jesus is here. And I've just got to kind of, i got to kind of pull his teeth to get him to do something. And I love this. The guy goes, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I'm willing. Be clean. And he touched the man. Now, the reason that matters is because with Jesus, clean trumps unclean. Everywhere else, unclean, corrupted, clean. If you came into contact with something that was unclean, you were then unclean. But this Jesus is so holy and so powerful and so pure that his Purity trumps any impurity you're bringing to the table. His purity overrides. It's just, oh, I've got a waiver in the back. And that nice young lady next to you is looking like, put your hand down. Put your, this is church. You know, it's so funny. There are folks that come to our community and, and they say, you know, where I come from, you dress up to show respect for God. And I'm like, I know. Can you believe kids these days wearing shorts and flip-flops? It's so disrespectful. So Jesus, he comes. And instead of being infected, Jesus purifies. Now notice who shows up next. If you thought the leper was bad, this is even worse. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, Roman centurions did not ever ask for help. They commanded you to help. Israel, in the first century, was occupied by the Roman army. The Roman army, the backbone of the Roman army, were centurions who were captains or colonels. They oversaw a century of legionnaires, 80 to 100, depending And these were the ones that enforced the dictates of Rome. Israel hated being occupied by pagans, by non-Jews. They called Gentiles, and a code word for Gentiles in the Bible is dogs. Imagine you're in France during World War II, and a Nazi SS soldier comes to your door asking for help, and you're Jewish. Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the feel you get here. The leper, at least, was Jewish. The centurion is a Gentile, non-Jewish, is Roman, part of the oppressors, is a soldier, and is a leader 
of the army. So this guy's got like four strikes against him. And he comes asking for help. Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Now what's Jesus say? I love this. You're not pulling his teeth. You're not negotiating. I will go and heal him. I mean, just... I mean, this is the dude, I mean, it's like Jesus is hanging out in France in World War II and a Gestapo agent shows up and says, I have a a servant who's at home. And Jesus goes, sure, done. Do you think of Jesus this way? Just kind of like eager to do this? I don't think of him this way. I think like I got to pull it out of him. So Jesus just says, I love this. I will go heal him. Now, you have to understand, this was completely scandalous because as a God-fearing Jewish rabbi, Jesus was not supposed to go into the home of somebody who was not Jewish. Because there you could come into contact with idols, you could come into contact with unclean servants, you could, come into, you could get all sorts, into all sorts of trouble. Culturally, it was a huge statement Jesus was willing to go heal this guy. But the man recognizes the cultural boundary Jesus would have violated. And so he says this, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come over, come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. In other words, I recognize that good Jewish folks don't hang out with people like me and visit their homes. But I believe that all you have to do is say the word and you can heal him from here. Because here's what the centurion says. I myself am a man under authority. I understand how authority works, Jesus. I have been under me, and I tell this one, go, and he goes. And this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, he says to Jesus, I'm a man who understands authority because I exercise it all the time, and I see that you have it over disease. That's what he's saying. Now notice what the scripture says next. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. There aren't many times in the gospels where Jesus is astonished. He says, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And then he heals the dude's servant. Not many times Jesus of Nazareth is astonished, but he's astonished by the Gentile Roman soldier captain who so understood the authority of this Jesus, he said, dude, you don't even need to move. All you got to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. So is this Jesus willing? I am willing. Be clean. Will you heal? I will go heal him. And the servant's healed. One last story. Go, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10. So Jesus violates the boundary that says you shouldn't touch lepers. Jesus violates the boundary that says you shouldn't serve, heal, or minister to Gentiles. And you shouldn't go under uh, their roofs or in their homes. And Jesus is willing to do that. See, you have to understand, I don't know where you come from or what kind of church experience you've had or what your understanding of Jesus is, but whatever image of Jesus you have, the real thing is infinitely better. You cannot 
have a big enough view of this Jesus. You cannot. And one of the biggest tests of whether or not you're getting to know him is whether or not he gets bigger the longer you follow him. There are some folks, it seems like Jesus gets more understandable and smaller the longer they're with him. And and to those folks, I just say, you might want to reconsider. You're not following the real Jesus. You're following maybe a Christianized version of him or a cultural version of him. Because the Jesus in the Bible, the longer you follow him, the, 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 the more subversive he is, the more radical he is, the, the, the better he is, the bigger he is, the more ruthlessly honest he is. I love you, Marie. You know, just someday you and I could just stand in here. Because that's what it feels like right now. I'm just teasing partially. Now, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. I just, I just gave a reference. You got to, that was totally arbitrary. You can't, you got to time it. Tim. All right, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. Okay, while Jesus was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Now, a ruler is code for a Jewish synagogue ruler. Okay, so this is somebody who's part of the religious establishment who's been opposed to Jesus this whole time. But when his daughter dies, he rethinks his theological priorities. And And he exercises such great faith. He says, Jesus, she's dead. Come put your hand on her. Now, in the Old Testament, are dead bodies clean or unclean? Jesus is being asked yet again, to touch someone that would, you would think would defile him and pollute him. So the request is, Jesus, would you defile yourself to heal my little girl and bring her back from the dead? I mean, this is a really profound request. Jesus, verse 19, you can tell he hesitated. Jesus got up and went with him. And so did his disciples. I mean, I just love it. It's like, Lord, if you're willing, I'm willing. My servant's at home sick. I'll go heal him. Jesus, go touch my dead girl. He gets up and he goes, right? He's just not, it's okay. Now, just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Now, there's all sorts of stuff going on that we miss. First of all, a woman subject to bleeding. She obviously had a feminine problem for nonstop bleeding for 12 years. In Jewish society, okay, that blood was sacred. But blood also, if not handled properly, was uh, considered something that defiled. So this woman not only had the physical issue, and another gospel has it that she tells Jesus about how she spent all of her savings trying to find help for this. But culturally, 
I mean, this was some of the stuff she would have to deal with. She couldn't sit on furniture or it would be unclean. You could not touch her clothes or you would be unclean. If she was in the room, you had to cover all the open water containers. If this happened before she was married, she was never married. And if this began after she was married, she was divorced. Another circumstance of not being able to go to the temple or the synagogue and not being able to exercise her place in the community. She was an outcast. So, Jesus is walking with the synagogue ruler. And it's a whole bunch of dudes. It's Jesus, his disciples, and the synagogue crew. And she, you can just imagine, is kind of following along. Now, you have to understand, to fight through the crowd to get to Jesus, if anybody comes into contact with her, they become defiled. So you think the dudes are happy seeing this girl. No, because they know exactly who she is. And she comes up and she touches the hem of Jesus' robe. Now, there is a whole message we could preach just on the hem of Jesus' robe because at the hem of Jesus' robe, a good rabbi would have tassels. And those tassels were incredibly symbolic. The fact that she grabs onto one of these fringe tassels would have been, in actuality, and we don't have time to explore this, but a huge statement of messianic promise. That this Jesus has an authority and a promise that the Messiah was supposed to have. So you can imagine her kind of sneaking in, just trying to touch just the edge. Because do you think she wants to get caught? No. Because if she touches the famous rabbi, he is polluted and the whole village is shamed because of her behavior. So she doesn't want to get caught. And in in another gospel, the story's told a little more detail. And so she touches the hem of his robe, and Jesus is cruising along. And he's like, who touched me? And the disciples look at him and go, well, bro, you're in the middle of a crowd. I mean, lots of people have been touching you. You want to clarify, Messiah boy? He's like, Power went out from me, like something big happened, and he turns and he finds this woman. Now, normal rabbis would have rebuked her. Normal rabbis would have seen themselves as defiled by her. Normal rabbis would have just added to the weight and the guilt and the shame of the religious establishment. What does Jesus say? Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed. Now when he calls her daughter, you have to understand, that word is a word that restores her. It's not just that she was healed physically. She was restored to the whole community. Jesus, you have to see this. The purity of Jesus triumphs over everything else. It doesn't matter if it's a leper who Jesus touches or a bleeding woman who touches him. He was willing to go under the roof of a Roman soldier. See, this Jesus can, can heal and purify anything. There's nobody too disgusting for this man. There's nobody too dirty. There's nobody too fallen. There's nobody too screwed up. And it breaks 
the heart of this Jesus, when his church doesn't embody that sort of revolutionary accessibility, when his church doesn't embody, we'll go to the dirtiest, we'll go to the scummiest, we'll go to everybody that the culture rejects. That's where he does some of his best stuff. And very often, because his church is unwilling to go, there aren't any God-forsaken places, it has been said. There are church-forsaken places. And so, on the one hand, if you're new to the whole Jesus conversation, and you think in a setting like this, I'm too screwed up. <laughs> you don't get it. You can't be. I've fallen too far. Impossible. Jesus... Jesus specializes in taking misfits and turning them into world changers. That's just what he does. He took 12 peasants and changed the world. 11, really. Not a bad average. So you can imagine the dude that originally asked Jesus for help. It's like, can you handle the bleeding woman later? You know, my girl, little girl's getting cold over in the other part of the village. Now, verse 23, when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, now, you have to understand, back then you would hire professional mourners. Seriously. Your friends and family would come and sit for seven days with you and you would hire wailers and mourners and musicians. So, she'd been dead for some time because they had time to go hire these folks. Jesus shows up, he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, and he said, go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. They thought, it's over, she's dead. I mean, you know, that's kind of how that works. After the crowd been put, uh, had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. He touched the dead girl. You don't do that. And she got up. And in, in the other story, it says, and Jesus told the parents to give her something to eat. It's like resurrecting is tough work. What does Jesus do Easter Sunday morning? What's he do when he rises from the dead? He makes breakfast. You know, Tim. I think that's awesome. Jesus making breakfast after he rises from the dead. And the little girl... Get her some soup, for crying out loud. She just came back from the dead. Let's go. Now, these are three of nine stories in this section. What do they show us? A very willing Jesus. That Jesus' preaching included demonstrations of his authority. And that Jesus would touch the untouchable. That his Purity overrode whatever impurity somebody was bringing to him. The thing that's so crazy is that Jesus then gave that ministry to his followers. Fire up the PowerPoint, Armando. Yes. It's glorious. Hours were spent trying to figure out how to put a circle there. 
in Matthew 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, isn't that crazy? It's not just that Jesus does this, but he then takes these peasants and says, you do it. Not because, were they super spiritual? No, if you ever read the Gospels, Jesus looks at them and says, why are you so slow? Why do you not have more faith? He, he calls Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan, at one point in the journey. Right? I mean, these guys weren't the extra special spiritual crew. These guys were clueless, which gives us hope. And it's these guys that he sends out to do this. Next. As you go, he says to the same crew, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Same message Jesus preached. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and cast out demons. Okay. There was nothing in peasanting that prepared them for this. But they saw Jesus do it, and he gave them his authority. Now, Luke, next slide, records a difference commission to the 72. So these weren't like the 12 special ones. These were even more ordinary folks. He appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go. Heal the sick who were there and tell them the kingdom is near you. Next slide. So you have it from Jesus to the 12 to the 72, and then the book of Matthew ends with something called the Great Commission. Now, you all go and make disciples and teach and baptize. And we know from the book of Acts that this included healing. All the things that happened in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus will look at his followers and say, you'll do even greater things. Now, he doesn't mean greater in terms of, hey, you know, I rose people from the dead, like you'll raise them from even deader. <laughs> He's not. Maybe that wasn't well said. He, but he's saying, I'm located in this little 30-mile region. You will infect the whole world. So, the ministry of healing of the church has gotten a bad rap due to certain religious television programs. Would you agree? If you're new to church, and if I were to say, hey, we're going to practice healing today, you'd go, hmm, so do do I need to fall over at certain times, or how's this whole thing work? Do I have to send in money first? And because of that, because of some of the abuses, the church in general doesn't have this conversation. Now, I have to tell you, I come from an incredibly conservative background. I remember the day the Charismatics invaded our church. 200 people, Lexington, Grace Brethren Church in Lexington, Ohio. You dress up for church, brothers and sisters, at Grace Brethren Church. One day, in the middle of singing, somebody did something that sent ripples throughout the leadership of the church. They raised their hands in the middle of a worship song. Now, it didn't dawn on us that that was a biblical thing to do. You have examples of that. But for us, we're getting a little crazy. So the elders, I think, met the next day or something, you know, to discuss this. So there is nothing in my background that ever told me that we should like pray for healing for people. 
until I started reading the Bible. And then it's like, oh, I wonder if Jesus still does this sort of thing. And it turns out he does. And so we are actually going to pray for healing for folks today. We're going to do this as part of our regular worship together. We're not going to be weird. Well, I shouldn't say that. Beyond normal weird, all right? Because, I mean, well, forget it. What we're going to do uh, is we're going to call some folks up to the front, and we're just going to pray for those of you that need healing. And that healing could be physical. That healing could be spiritual. We do believe in a thing called spiritual warfare. That there are times our adversary just is thick and oppressive. We believe it could be relational. You're estranged. You harbor unforgiveness. Your marriage is on the rocks. Your children. I mean, it could be any of that. It could be mental. Right? Some of us struggle with mental illness and think, well... I just don't have enough faith and I should be better. And you go, well, I don't know. Sometimes there's a real legitimate physical part of that whole deal. And so we want to open it up to all sorts of healing. Now, before we start this, I need to give you about five minutes of background, all right? Are we surprised when God heals? Nope. He does this sort of thing. Are we surprised when he doesn't heal? We shouldn't be, and here's the reason. Follow me on this, all right? This is like, if there, this, is, this next three or four minutes is thick. Jesus came the first time, and he said his kingdom had come, right? But he also said his kingdom was coming. So he's announcing, hey, the kingdom is near you, right? We just looked at passages where he told the 72 and the 12, go tell them the kingdom's here. But if that's true, then why would Jesus tell his followers, pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because although the kingdom had come, it wasn't fully here yet. So Jesus inaugurates the kingdom in his first coming and he consummates the kingdom in his second coming. Now this was kind of like crazy to the Jews who thought the Messiah was just going to come once and clean everything up. Jesus comes and talks about two comings, his first one and then his second one. Now here's why this matters. Are you guys tracking with me? We live between his two comings. The age of resurrection has begun with the resurrection of Jesus. And yet, sin, death, and evil are still at work in the world. Would you agree? Jesus achieved a victory over every adversary, and yet those adversaries are still fighting against us. Would you agree? We live in something called the now and the not yet. The kingdom has come and it's coming. It's now, so we pray for healing. But it's not yet, so we know that sin, death, and evil are still at work in the world. And as far as I know, unless Jesus comes back, we're all dying. That means there will at least be one time when Jesus doesn't answer a prayer for healing. 
in your life, right? Because we're all going to kick the bucket. So are we surprised by death and pain and suffering and evil? No, they're still at work in the world, but they have been defeated. So think about the implications of this. Why do we celebrate when we gather? The kingdom has come. Jesus is here. Why do we lament when we gather? Because we're still waiting for its consummation. We're still waiting for Jesus to return and take away all the pain and the evil and the suffering. Why can the Bible look at you? I mean, look at you guys. And with a straight face, metaphorically speaking, say you are holy and priests and righteous and ministers. And then tell you you need to confess your sins to God. You are now and not yet. You are now priests and holy and righteous. And you're still a work in progress. Someday you get a resurrected body. Someday you will see him face to face. So do we pray for healing? You bet we pray for healing. Are we surprised when it doesn't happen? We're not surprised. Because sin, death, and evil are still at work in the world. Are you with me on this? So, I, I go after it. I'm like, in Jesus' name, heal right now. Have I seen this happen? Absolutely. Have I seen Jesus heal symptoms and not the root of a disease? Absolutely. We had a girl uh, who had MS, tingling in her fingers. Jesus didn't heal the MS, but healed the tingling. I can't figure that out. There's some of you who have chronic conditions and you've prayed for healing so many times you don't even want to because it represents hope. And hope hurts. I get that. And yet this Jesus walks around saying, let me tell you a parable about why you should keep praying and never give up. He built persistentness into the whole scheme. So in obedience, we're just going to pray. And here's how we're going to do it. Later on in the scriptures, a man named James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, gives these instructions. Is any one of you in, is any one of you in trouble? Okay. Liars, there are more of you. He should pray. Is any one of you happy? Okay, sing songs of praise. So when Ethan was doing this very mellow thing and you decided to reflect his mellowness, that was unacceptable. (laughs) Is any one of you sick? He should call the overseers of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So we anoint with oil here. Oil. Is there anything magic about the oil? Nope, it's symbolic of the presence of the Spirit. Okay? So we anoint. We don't dump it on you. We'll just put a little on our finger and, you know, maybe do a cross-like shape or something on your head. Some crosses will be bigger than others, though, because there's more room. I mean, can I get an amen? I can do the whole (laughs) thing. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he will be forgiven. Sometimes... A physical illness is actually a symptom of something spiritual, right? So we're going to pray, and we're going to take a lot of time to do it. So we're going to line up up here, 
And if you want prayer, you can come down here and we're going to pray. Now, for those of you that aren't walking, would you join us in praying? Now, we'll start worshiping and singing as we go. But for the first little bit, we're just going to, we're just going to be together and do this. Now, if you're new to the whole Jesus thing, we're just doing family stuff. This is what the community is supposed to be. Let me tell you this. If you can explain a church service by only appealing to the gifts of the people or the technology or the space or group dynamics, then maybe you haven't been to a church service. Can I just say that? Because the thing's supposed to be supernatural. Not in a weird way, but in a natural way. And so we always want to make room for the unexplainable. Always. None of us signed up to give our lives to something that you could explain by economic theory or group dynamics, right? And so that's all this is. This is just family stuff, and this is what we believe we do in obedience. There's nothing special about the folks up here except we've had some conversations with them about, hey, what this looks like and what it doesn't look like. But they're just folks that want to serve you. All right? So would you do this? Would you stand up? Uh, Prayer folks, would you come on down? Ethan, he magically appears from behind. Now, did that harmonica thing look like Darth Vader's mask a little bit? Just anybody else? All right, can I pray for us? The answer is yes. I wasn't really asking your permission. So, if you are here and you were, would be courageous enough to humble yourself and say, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, I know somebody who is at home in terrible suffering. If you just want to touch the very edge of his cloak or have Jesus, take the hand of somebody that you wouldn't think would be touchable or healable. This Jesus, as we study him in the scriptures, I am willing. I'll go heal him. I don't understand the mysteries of all of this, of why some are healed and some are not. All I know is we're supposed to ask. And so in faith, brothers and sisters, we ask. Heavenly Father, by the name and power of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you fill this place with your Holy Spirit and would you bring healing to your children? Would you come against our adversary who keeps us in bondage? Would you come against our sin that keeps us in bondage? Would you come against the physical aches and pains and diseases that keep us in bondage? And would you, God, demonstrate your greatness in this place by bringing healing? And Lord, we wish we could manipulate this or manufacture this or have some surefire formula for this. 
But you just say, keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. And so in obedience, we anoint with oil this morning and ask God for your blessing. So brothers and sisters, we're going to have some folks up in front. And then over where in the back, as I'm looking at it, my back left corner, your back right corner, there are going to be some folks praying there too. Would you please approach an usher and then we'll kind of manage the flow of folks. But please, would you come forward now and let us pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariner's, visit www.marinerschurch.org.